Blog Talk Radio. shooting death of Michael Brown and the subsequent riots and why is this whole issue being hijacked and steered by the Obama administration and black political leaders first of all an apology I'm not going to check my white privilege despite the myriad of glittering opportunities that were afforded to me as a result of my skin color growing up on a council estate in northern England I don't believe that free speech on certain issues should be denied limited or qualified based on race unlike the people who scream white privilege I'm not a racist like Martin Luther King 
I believe a person should be judged on the content of their character, not their background or skin colour. What I would point out is the number of articles I have written decrying genuine examples of police brutality being targeted against black people. Now let's get to it. Thousands of Americans, predominantly blacks, but many, many white liberals who have taken the same stance, have concluded that Officer Darren Wilson was guilty of first-degree murder when he shot Michael Brown. And how have they come to this conclusion? Well, it can't be based on the actual evidence behind what happened, which clearly indicates that Wilson acted in self-defense and did not deliberately murder Brown. Brown was a criminal who robbed a convenience store just before the shooting. The majority of witnesses to the shooting, all of whom were black, say that Brown attacked Wilson and attempted to grab his gun in the patrol car. The ballistics evidence from the autopsy of Michael Brown and the wound to his hand are fully consistent with Wilson's explanation that Brown was reaching for his gun. The autopsy results also show that Brown did not have his hands raised in surrender when he was shot by Officer Wilson. Forensic pathologist Judy Melanek asserts that the autopsy results did not support those who claim Brown was attempting to flee or surrender when Wilson shot him in the street. Every piece of evidence demolishes the claim that Brown was an innocent victim with his hands up in the air when he was shot by Wilson. He was not shot because he was black. He was shot because he was assaulting and maybe even attempting to murder Wilson. Given that the evidence clearly shows that Wilson was not guilty of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, or even manslaughter, why have Ferguson protesters and agitators come to this conclusion? And why did they come to this conclusion before any of the evidence was even presented? Well, we know why. Because Michael Brown was black, and Officer Wilson was white. And no amount of hard evidence is going to dissuade them from that narrative. They've already determined Wilson's guilt based on the colour of his skin. They've made a racist rush to judgment and then exploited that fallacy in some cases to burn down and loot their own communities. Why won't President Obama come out and say, you know what? Darren Wilson is not guilty, and it's a good thing that he wasn't indicted. It's unfortunate that this young black child was gunned down, but you know whose fault it was? What about his parents? His parents are complaining. They're the ones that raised him. If they had raised him right, he, you know, he would have had some respect for authority. He wouldn't have robbed the, uh, uh, this convenience store. He would have listened to the police. He wouldn't have charged the police. Who charges a policeman when they have a gun pointed at you and they're telling you to freeze? Who charges? Who attacks a policeman through his car and starts punching him in the face and tries to take his gun? Not a kid who's raised very well. And in fact, why don't we blame the welfare state you know, and, and the poverty in which these kids grow up in and the war on drugs and all the things that the government does to create Michael Browns and all the Michael Browns who were born out of wedlock to women without husbands because of the welfare state. You know, this is not about racism. And, it's, it, and, and, and Darren Wilson didn't do anything wrong. He was doing his job. You know, but now what are we telling policemen? Hey, you can't, you can't protect yourself. You can't shoot a criminal who's trying to kill you because if they happen to be black, well, then you might end up in jail or you're, you know, you're going to have to live in hiding for like your whole life because you're automatically guilty if you're white and you shoot somebody who's black, no matter what the circumstances are, you know, you're a racist and you're a murderer. The grand jury is likely to acquit Officer Darren Wilson based on actual evidence not the colour of his skin. And even if we don't see more unrest in the aftermath of the verdict, the damage, to a large extent, has already been done. Here's the truth about Ferguson. This is being hijacked by the Obama administration, by the establishment itself, to delegitimize opposition to the genuine problem of police brutality. Why weren't blacks up in arms when Eric Garner, a black man, was choked to death by a white police officer in New York City earlier this summer for the crime of selling cigarettes. Why weren't liberals up in arms when the Albuquerque Police Department gunned down a homeless man, James Boyd, in cold blood? Were there sporadic protests? Well, sure. Was it anything like the sustained unrest that we saw in Ferguson? No way. Despite the fact that unlike the Michael Brown case, 
These were flagrant examples of outrageous police brutality. And why is that? Why are the cut and dried cases buried in local media and forgotten about? While the Trayvon Martins and Michael Browns are seized upon as national causes by the mainstream media and by black political leaders. Why is Barack Obama meeting with Ferguson organizers and encouraging them to stay the course? Why is Al Sharpton, the FBI snitch, an alleged cocaine dealer, an Uncle Tom who doesn't give a damn about black people, acting as a conduit for the White House while stirring up resentment in Ferguson? Why is the Obama administration itself, just as it did during the Trayvon Martin controversy, fostering outrage and unrest over a case which, if you study the evidence carefully, clearly does not prove police brutality? Because the government doesn't care about police brutality. The government does not care about blacks. It does care about divide and conquer. By making the whole issue about police violence only being targeted against blacks, and in the case of Michael Brown, justifiably so, half of America is convinced to shut up about police brutality, turn a blind eye, and even support a more militarized and aggressive police force. Police brutality is a real issue. People from all colors and creeds are being assaulted by cops, thrown in prison for videotaping, and murdered on a regular basis. Cops have killed 5,000 Americans since 9-11. Americans are eight times more likely to be killed by a police officer than a terrorist. Police departments across the country are being militarized with the aid of Homeland Security grants. The government supports the police state no matter what president or political party is in office. So when the likes of Barack Obama and Al Sharpton jump on the bandwagon of this cause celebre, you know that something's amiss. You know that Ferguson is being used to delegitimize and dilute opposition to the genuine problem of police brutality. And that's the truth about Ferguson. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Subscribe to the channel. I'm Paul Joseph Watson reporting for Infowars.com.
of impression. Oh, whoa, my rap sheet is long. Where are my reparations? What if I leave here? Who'll be our role model now that Jesse Jackson is gone? Gone. He ducked back down the alley with that roly-poly little brawly girl. All along, along in my Canada set, there will be hits and allegations. Amen. Well, good evening, folks, and welcome to another hour of the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Yeah, there were so many things we were going to talk about today uh, dealing with the Obama administration. However, uh, as you are well aware, there is a series of events going on in Ferguson, Missouri, and around the country. Lots of protests going on, and it all stems from... The um, shooting of the gentle giant. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Today's date is, oh my goodness, it's the 26th. It is Thanksgiving Eve, 2014, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. And once again, I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones, and I am back, back in business for the rest of the year, if not longer. All right, so... Yeah, last night's show was all about the breaking up the myth of the so-called gentle giant, the young man who was destined for greatness, according to his mom and several others. He was just headed off to college in a couple of days, and you know he he had a bright future ahead of him, and it was all looking so bright and rosy until he was. Gunned down, gunned down by a racist white cop who had nothing better to do than to roll out into a black neighborhood and gun down the biggest dude he laid his eyes on. A young man who just happened to be walking down the middle of the street with his homie disrupting traffic, and the cop had no idea. Had no idea this guy had just strong arm robbed the liquor store and stole some cigarettes or whatever those things are called. Hadn't he didn't know until he knew. But the gentle giant was just minding his business. He he didn't mean anybody any harm. He didn't mean any trouble. He was just minding his business when this race cop came. Well, we all know that's not true. You know, and uh, you know, I've been getting posts on uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, and I've been getting texts from friends, and they've been asking me, you know, what if it were you? And even, even, even more, what if it were your sons? My own daughter, my favorite, said to me, what if it were one of your sons? What if it were one of your sons who was gunned down by a racist white cop? And I replied to my daughter and to others that it would never happen. And I'm certain of that as I'm certain of any and everything. And here's why. I I'm the first cop my sons ever knew. I am their first cop. No, when they were born, I did not serve as a as a police officer. I was a United States Marine. But I was their first authority figure. When I said jump, they didn't say how high. They just jumped. No, it was not a fear. Well, some of it was, but mostly out of respect. They did what I told them to do each and every time, and when they didn't, well, let's just say it wasn't pretty. 
No, I didn't didn't beat them, didn't spank them. I didn't need to do that. The look of disappointment on my face was more than enough. I was my children's first cop. So, if my children, my sons were approached by a police officer and asked to move out of the road and step to the sidewalk, they would do just that. If a cop said, do you have ID, son? May I see some ID? They would produce the ID without giving the cop any lip. Whatever the cop's instructions were that were legal and lawful, my sons would have followed to the letter. Because they're my sons, and I raised those boys. I raised those boys who are now men, and guess what? One of my sons is a cop. Now, the other, he's doing his thing. What if it were my boys? Well, it wouldn't be because those are my boys. But, as we saw the other night in Ferguson, Michael Brown's stepfather, let's call him that. As bad as, well, look, I've got an article here in front of me from the American Thinker titled, Michael Brown's Parents, Bad Influence Plays Out on the National Stage. Now, these are Michael Brown's parents. Is it any wonder how Michael Brown turned out? Is it any wonder why their son, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it, why their son is dead? Michael Brown's stepfather was standing on top of a car, videotaped, shouting, Let's burn this bitch down as loud as he could about 12, 13, 14, 15 times. That's what Michael Brown had to work with when he walked the earth. Take a listen to Mama McSpaden and Michael Brown's convicted felon stepdad, Lewis Head. Yes. The same pair, along with 20 others who allegedly tried to crack a few skulls after they caught Granny and Cousin selling Michael Brown merchandise in Ferguson a month ago. Both could be charged with felony assault for that little temper tantrum. This is what Michael Brown had to work with. They killed her baby, man. They want him back in Ferguson. I can't get nobody back. You can't get nobody back. They, they don't, still don't care. They don't care. They ain't never gonna care. Because it ain't their kid. I've been hurt my whole life. I ain't never had to go through nothing like this. We gon' get Lizzie McSpadden's immediate reaction, which was caught on videotape uh, after her the devastating news that the killer of her child was uh, not going to be brought to justice, was uh, overwhelming to her. Uh, she, as a Ferguson community, understands that we have all have a responsibility to protect the community. Nobody is going to condone violence, and we're going to reject it. And as uh, Reverend Al said, people who do that stuff, it's not appropriate. Michael said it so eloquently, asked him for peace and calm. And so we'll move on. Yeah, you'll move on. Asking for peace and calm while Mama and Stepdad yell, let's burn this bitch down, and subsequently, stuff started burning down to the ground. McFadden and Head, McSpadden and Head, maybe I was thinking of McFadden and Whitehead, are two peas living in one messed up pod. 
Imagine, imagine little Michael trying to grow up with a mom who's got a foul mouth and likes to hang out with felons. Imagine what that must have been like for the gentle giant. Head was recently paroled on federal firearms charges related to the manufacture, sale, and distribution of what? Narcotics, drugs. Head's also a former Bloods gang leader out of St. Louis. That's what Michael had to work with. Poor Mike. Michael Brown Sr. is somebody else who's culpable. The dead 18-year-old's real father moved on to another baby's mama after McSpaden. What kind of values did he instill in a guy who walked into a convenience store, took what he wanted, and proceeded to rough up an innocent clerk? You see, it's just like what I said in yesterday's broadcast. It starts with the parents, and it's the reason why I answered the question when it was asked to me today, what if it were your sons? It would never be my sons. Because guess what? They had me. It would never be my sons. <laughs> oh man, hold on now. We got the exceptional conservative in the house. He's got a show coming up in oh man, it's coming up in about thirty minutes, just over thirty minutes. He has a great show, folks. Please check it out. Of course I know you already do, so I don't want to say any I don't need to say any more. Everybody knows who the exceptional conservative is and what his show's all about. I've been listening, you know, since I've been back on the last few days and wow. You know, it's really hard to keep up with, uh, with with shows like that. So please check out the Exceptional Conservative on blogtalkradio.com. Now, back. How lucky for us. Wait, 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 wait. But wait a minute now. Michael Brown is innocent. He was innocent. He was just walking down the road, minding his own business, and the racist white cop walked up, harassed him, pushed him around a little, and then shot him a whole bunch of times. Just because he's uh, black. Uh-huh. But he's innocent, just like uh, Max Spaden in Head, right? They're not responsible for their explanative spewing mouths, gang activities, domestic violence, skirmishes, and sexual promiscuity. It's the cop's fault. Mike Brown's daddy is making babies all over town. And poor gentle giant Mike is stuck with a felon, a drug dealer, and a gun runner for a stepdaddy. Mama's a foul mouth skank. So maybe maybe I was a little bit too harsh in suggesting that young Mr. Brown got what was coming, that he was destined for the graveyard or spending quite a bit of time in the pokey. Maybe I was a little harsh, but then again, with the parenting he had, the authority figures that he had to work with, wasn't it predictable? And isn't it predictable for future young men? It's the cop's fault. Yeah. Yeah, and I got to get on the concept, uh, the the, um, the conservative show, the exceptional conservative show, pretty soon because. That show's just too good. It's just too good. You know, we used to we used to run blog talk radio. Then young whippersnappers like the exceptional conservative came in the play and now like we're like the old dudes now. We're we're just we're just struggling to keep up now. 
they're running hard and they're running fast and we're just trying to keep up. But hey, you know what? I'm going to do my best. How lucky for us that Obama, Holder, Sharpton, and their media goons at CNN, check out Van Jones and Don Lemon. Love to exploit their own people on the national stage. So does Al Sharpton. Otherwise, we wouldn't see McSpadden and Head emulate what they consider appropriate peaceful behavior. Two days before his burn this bitch down call for violence, Head penned a letter to the protesters asking for calm. Too bad it didn't pan out. Now the rest of the country can see why Michael Brown didn't have much impulse control or regard for the law. Michael Brown couldn't help himself. Look at the parenting he had to deal with. These people were just no damn good. They are no damn good. And Mike Brown is or was as a result no damn good him damn self. These poor excuses for parents are as much to blame for Michael's death as Michael himself. So why isn't the media blaming them instead of the cops? Maybe we'll we'll all worry about police accountability when issues of accountability are resolved with respect to the sperm donors and babies' mamas raising or not raising these scourges of society. Holding these two accountable won't be easy. No, because they're not going to be held accountable. After the McSpadden head video went viral, McSpadden's lawyer, Benjamin Crump, tried to quell the criticism. Crump suggested that McSpadden and Head were overcome with raw emotion. They were they were overcome with raw emotion, folks. Yeah, so I guess that the same thing can be said for for for, for Mr. Brown, for for the young man that's now in his grave. He he was overcome with raw emotion. How do you not behave with dignity? The cameras are on you. Behave with dignity. They couldn't do it, could they? Of course they couldn't. Of course they couldn't. Because that's what we have to deal with, folks. And it happens all over our community. Now, yesterday I told you I came from the very same background. The very same background. For those of you who didn't had not listened to yesterday's broadcast, I admitted that I grew up in the Robert Taylor Homes, 41st and State, 4120, apartment 602, the very same building that produced, yeah, mm-hmm, Bernie Mac and Mr. T. No role models. I suppose, but all three of us grew up in that very same building. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. Now, as I said yesterday, I did not know these men. I did not know Bernie, and I did not know Mr. T, Lawrence T. Rowe. I did not know them. We were not buddies. We didn't hang. I'm simply stating that we grew up in the very same building in the Robert Taylor homes. They have already said they that they did. Uh, Bernie Mac, rest his soul. Mr. T still with us. I grew up in the very same building. I have a healthy respect for authority, even though I grew up in that building, because guess what? My dad was omnipresent. And he was a role model, even though I grew up poor. My mother, although we were poor, was a dignified woman. Mr. Brown, he he didn't have that. He didn't have that. He didn't have he was not blessed that way. Let's take let's take a listen one more time. They killed her baby, man. Can't get nobody back. They, they don't, still don't care. They don't care. They ain't never gonna care. Cause it ain't that kid. I've been hurt my whole 
Spadden's immediate reaction, which was caught on videotape uh, after her the devastating news that the killer of her child was uh, not going to be brought to justice, was uh, overwhelming to her. Yeah, I think you get the picture now. You get the picture now. Isn't it sad? And you know, if you check uh, my Facebook page, you'll see that so many people are saying, oh, that poor young man, gone. That poor young man. Now, I took a lot of what I just said from an article in The American Thinker titled Michael Brown's Parent. Parents, bad influence plays out on the national stage. Check it out. We're going to take a short break. And we're going to come right back. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about, uh, well, I guess Reverend Al. Can we talk about Reverend Al? Let's put him back on and we'll come right back. You're listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. We'll be right back. Another voice has weighed in on this Senate race. Here is Louisiana State Senator Albert Guillory with his message for voters up in North Carolina. Listen. In 2008, 95% of black folk in North Carolina voted for Kay Hagan. The Democrats have created the illusion that they are the salvation of the black community. But who among us have they saved? In North Carolina, the poverty rate for blacks has risen to 34%. You see... Black people are just being used by limousine liberals who have become our new overseers. We've only traded one plantation for another. You are not Kay Hagan's cause, and you're certainly not her charity. You are just a vote. She has stepped off your backs to fame and fortune and left you behind on food stamps, deprived of the American dream. Fifty years of this so-called great society has nearly destroyed the black community. But now we have a chance to return the favor. It has come time to send Kay Hagan home. Joining us now to Kelly File Exclusive, Republican Louisiana State Senator Albert, Albert Guillory. Democrat campaign. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Okay. When a police officer 
shoots a young man, a young unarmed black man in the streets, then does not face indictment. Anger in the community is inevitable. We know that. It's not what we do with that anger. I mean, it's what we do with that anger that counts. In such a case, is rioting so wrong? Riots are a necessary part of the evolution of society. Unfortunately, we do not live in a universal utopia where people have the basic human rights they deserve simply for existing. And until we are there, the legitimate frustration, sorrow, and pain of the marginalized voices will boil over, spilling out into our streets as normal citizens watch the events of Ferguson unfurl on their television screens and Twitter feeds, there is a lot of head-shaking, finger-pointing, and privileged explanation going on. We wish to seclude the incident and the people involved to separate it from our history as a nation, to dehumanize the change agents because of their bad and sometimes violent decisions, because we can separate the underlying racial tension that clearly exists in our country from the looting and rioting of selected or select individuals. We can continue to ignore the problem. Now, that's from an article by Darlena Shuna, C-U-N-H-A. She is identified as a contributor to the Washington Post and Times. Apparently, Darlena ran out of ideas on what to write about the Ferguson riots, so she decided to stir the pot a bit. Do you guys agree? Do you agree that rioting, burning, looting, theft, it's all a part of the natural evolution of mankind? Of uh, of us. Racial tension. Because a white cop shot an unarmed black man. Who, by all accounts, evidence and eyewitness testimony, was trying to kill the cop. What about all this? And did did anybody um, listen to the cops' uh, version of the story? It was pretty compelling, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Because guess what? The cop was telling the truth. It all makes sense. If you look at the evidence and then listen to the cop's explanation, it all made sense. Frankly... Here's how I look at it. I look at it this way. The police officer is a police officer. Now, if Michael was really a great kid and had not just robbed a store and roughed up the store clerk or owner and was then walking down the middle of the street disrupting traffic, and was just a he was just a really great kid just uh, if uh, minding his own business if he were that guy i don't know i might have some doubt uh you know i'll be i'll be frank with you i might have some doubt about you know well what happened here what really happened but you know what those of us who grew up in the kind of neighborhoods that i grew up in those of us who truly know and who have witnessed and been around and grew up around the thug mentality, the hoodlum thugs, and we all have some. There's a new name for them right now. They're called frenemies. Frenemies. Those of us who have our own frenemies, who know some thugs and some hoodlums, we know 
that young Mike, the gentle giant, was bad news and was going to wind up either dead or in prison. He was not going off to college and, you know, bula bula. He wasn't going to Harvard or Yale. He probably wasn't even headed for the local community college. He was a thug and a hoodlum. He was destined for those two places, and he wound up in one of them. That's just the bottom line here. Let's not sugarcoat and make this guy to be some sort of martyr, because he is not. He is not a martyr. He was not a good guy. And it's a tragedy when any 18-year-old, anybody, you know, is gunned down. But let me be the guy to say it. This guy deserved it. He he asked for to get his ass knocked off. And yes, I'm about to take a call. <laughs> I just looked over at the screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's take a call right now. Call you're on with the Dr. C. Robert Jones situation report. Talk about it. Yeah, hi, this is a Gunslinger, Dallas, Texas. Gunslinger, hey, long time, man. Yeah, been a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Shoot, um, on your take on Ferguson, uh, I have to agree with you 100%. Uh, I do have a short period, three years in law enforcement, okay? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Remember, we are a nation of laws, Okay. We are a nation of laws, whether people like it or not. Okay, that's irrelevant. It is what it is. You have a right to defend yourself, whether you're wearing a badge in a uniform, or it's or it's you, or it's me, or Joe Blow out here on the street. Okay, we have a God-given right to self-defense. Even though the kid, he's not a kid; he's 18 years old. He's a man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was unarmed, okay. It is, let me make sure that I get this straight here, it is tragic when somebody loses their life, okay. That That is a very bad situation. I'm sure the officer, Wilson, whatever, feels sorry for having to end his life. But we got to go back to the law, and the law spoke, okay. He was acting in self-defense. If the kid, kid, man, would have, walking down the street, would have just merely have moved over onto the sidewalk, and I think they have some crazy ordinance that says you can't walk down the middle of the street in, in Ferguson, Missouri, he would have went home that night. Yep. Even if after the first altercation by the squad car, if he would have put his hands up, got on the ground, he wouldn't have went home. He would have went to jail because he had already committed a felony by trying to go for the officer's gun and a felony assault on a peace officer. Okay, at least yeah. he still be alive. At least he still be alive. Okay, but we all make stupid mistakes. You've made them. I've made them. We've all made. Them. But when you make a stupid and you add a deadly mistake by trying to get into a confrontation with somebody wearing a gun, regardless if he's got a badge on or not, doesn't matter. That, I'm sorry, nobody held a gun to that the Brown's head or a knife to his throat and say, you go get him, okay, whoop his ass, all right? Nobody yeah. did that. He did that on his own free will. Unfortunately, it cost him his life. You know, it, it, but people cannot understand this concept. I don't understand why. I mean, what what has happened to common sense in this country? You know, common reason, logic, and common sense. Where's it gone? You know, I mean, Gunslinger, I I believe that they they know they know their son was. You know, they're, they're not. I don't believe that the parents or the looters or the robbers are so deluded. All of them collectively deluded to the point where they be- actually believe that young Mr. Brown was innocent. I, I can't. Right. I mean, you, you'd have to have a 
collective mentality where all of them believe in their hearts and in their minds that the young man was just walking down the road, minding his own business, and the white and cops saw an opportunity to gun him down. Right. Yeah. I, I it's, it's it doesn't make any sense. You know. No. It it, it was an opportunity. You know, for a lot of folks to to go out and 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 create mayhem and anarchy, and it was just a big. It was just a. You know, it, it's all. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. And you know what? Go ahead. Well, I just want to add to that. Um, it it wouldn't matter. I, I'm a white person. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. It would not matter if the guy was black, brown white or pink pokey dotted with yellow stripes between his legs. It doesn't matter. I would have shot him too. Taking the above situation. Yeah. Yeah. I would have shot him too. Cops are trained just like when you go out and get a concealed handgun license, for example, to carry a weapon. You are trained. I know I was. I went to officer school. I went to uh, the, the course and the, all that stuff to take the CHL here in Texas in 95. I was one of the first ones in Dallas to get it. Okay. You are trained to stop the situation at whatever means possible. In other words, to neutralize the threat. That's exactly what Officer Wilson did. He was confronted with a situation. He feared for his life, and he was trained to stop the threat. Unfortunately, that was the first thing that he had was a weapon because he already obviously already had it out because remember there was already multiple shots before yeah. he before Brown tr- was starting to run away and then for some reason he turned and started charging the officer. Okay, and I, and you've seen pictures of officer of the, of the officer. He's not a big guy. Okay, I'm five foot nine, hundred and fifty pounds, mm-hmm. hundred and fifty five wet. I would fear that I would be the same thing would be going through my mind if I seen a guy that was six four, almost three hundred pounds, coming at me like a bull in a china closet. Anybody would. That's just survival. Exactly, and and they, I I couldn't agree more. And there's so many. Uh, there, there, just just tonight on on Fox, there was a um, a Fox contributor, a black man who uh, who was a former law enforcement officer, a former detective, who said that he would not have acted or pursued uh, Michael Brown uh, without you know backup. You know, first you got to call for backup. Then you got to just kind of hang out. What? Hang out by your car and wait. All right. So, it, it, it you know, there's there's so much armchair quarterbacking going on after the fact when you know we're talking the heat of the moment. You know, and the guy is charging the officer. He's not actually fleeing the He's scene. Charging. He's charging yeah. the officer. How do you wait for backup at that point? Yeah, you know. You got it. You got it right there. I mean, you said the magic words. What are you going to do? Just sit there and stand there and say, Mr. Brown, before you barrel me over like a, like a quarterback, would mm-hmm. you wait until my backup comes up? Okay. <laughs> it, it, just, it'd be just a few minutes now. Just just hold it. Now, when my backup gets here, now you, you continue to charge. Okay. This yeah. is another thing that people do not understand. When you are in a shoot, no shoot situation, I've been in two of them. Thank God I didn't have to shoot nobody. But I've been there. I have heard, I have felt the adrenaline rush. I have I have seen the tunnel vision that you get. You don't see left. You don't see right. You see straight ahead at the target that's coming at you. It's the scariest damn thing you ever want to experience. You have yeah. to experience that before you can know. These other people that are saying, well, he's unarmed. He, he wouldn't have done that. They've never been in a shoot, no shoot situation. No, you get most, into, you know, mm-hmm. most of them have never been 
in a situation where they had to make a split second decision, split, split second, second decisions right. that, uh, you know, when, when they were afraid, they were fearing for their lives, you know, right. most of, most folks, and, and they don't, and, and, you know, and a lot of them, they never will, they never will know what it's, what it's like. No, you're right. Absolutely. It is the most weirdest feeling that you could possibly experience in your life. I mean, this, that situation happened to me when I got out of, out of high school, 80, it was sometime between 84, 85, and 86 when I was an officer, okay? And I still remember that like it was yesterday. That's something yeah. you never forget. The the adrenaline rush, the, the, the like I said, the tunnel vision, oh, my God, what am I going to do, okay? You know, that kind of deal. Man, you know, like I said, unless you have experienced it or in combat, if you were ever in the military, I never was in the military. Yeah, but I was if you have been in the military, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen combat. They experience the same thing when you have an enemy charging at you and you have your weapon at fire ready. The same thing goes on. Same I think thing. I would assume. Yeah. Am I right? It's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Well, Gunslinger, we have less than three minutes left. I got to go, man. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Please come back. Uh, we're going to, you know, tomorrow we're just going to do a, a brief uh, Thanksgiving thing, but we'll be back Monday through Thursday, uh, 8 to 9 p.m. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate your insights, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll be back and we'll talk some more. Okay, sure. Thank you, right. Have a great night bye, and bye. have a happy bye, Thanksgiving. Bye. Yeah, hmm? have a nice Thanksgiving. Have a nice Thanksgiving yourself, too. All right. Thank you. All right, folks, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you for listening to the Dr. C. Robert Jones Situation Report. There's so many things you could be doing, and you take some time to come in and listen to my show, and I do so appreciate it. We're upwards of, um, wow, a uh, half million listeners uh, since uh, 2010, August of 2010, when I started this show. Once again, thank you so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, don't eat too much. Y'all have a great night. God bless you. And God bless America. Oh, and uh, and uh, the United States Marine Corps, of course. Good night, folks. We're out. Through early morning fog, I see visions of the things to be, the pains that are withheld for me. I realize and I can see That suicide is painless It brings on many changes And I can take or leave it If I please The game of life is hard to play gonna lose it anyway, the losing card I'll someday lay, so this is all I have to say. Take or leave it if I please.